Welcome to The Compliance Files, brought to you by the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. The Compliance Files is a unique podcast series giving you access to industry insights and key perspectives on how the evolving regulatory landscape is driving change, challenge and opportunity for compliance professionals everywhere. Hello and welcome to the Compliance Files podcast of the Association of Compliance Officers in Ireland. I'm Cathy Jacobs, president of the ACOI, and it is a great pleasure for me to host this podcast. The publication of the annual report of the Data Protection Commission is an important date in the calendar of compliance professionals and data protection officers. It provides a valuable insight into the work and the achievements of the DPC of the previous year and the developing data protection agenda. Among the highlights reported on in this, the 2020 annual report are the first fines imposed under the GDPR administrative sanctions regime. And of course, the challenges for data protection brought about by the pandemic. We can also see the ever increasing workload of the office and the sheer volume of that work. DPC's annual report is a must read for all of those working in the field. So I'm delighted to welcome as my guest today, MB Donnelly. MB serves as Assistant Commissioner at the Irish Data Protection Commission as Head of Communications, Regulatory Strategy, EU Projects and DPO Networks, having previously led on GDPR awareness and training for the Data Protection Commission. MB joined the DPC from the private sector where she was a consultant and before that her background was in education and she is still an occasional lecturer. MB is here to discuss with me today the recently published annual report of the Data Protection Commissioner. Welcome to the Compliance Files podcast, MB, and thanks for talking to us today. Not at all, Cathy. Thank you for having me. Um, We'll start um, our conversation, MB. Could you just give us an insight into how the DPC's team goes about putting together the report and, and how much work goes into putting it together? I, I can and I and I and I really appreciate the question and, and that's that's definitely it's not the question that leads straight out the gate normally when people ask me about the annual report. So I am delighted to have the opportunity to I suppose give that little behind the curtain glance at what goes into putting all of this together because it's a little bit like seeing the sausage get made. And for an organization like the Data Protection Commission, whose remit is so extraordinarily broad, that must by default give rise to a report that is extraordinarily broad and has to encompass a lot of things. And when you're trying to compile that and bring it together, you've got a lot of a lot of variables that you need to balance. And it, it comes again from that very broad remit, working remit that I spoke of for the DPC. And if you think about data protection in real and applicable terms, the DPC's remit cuts across every aspect of public and private life at a domestic level, at an international level, your micros, your macro levels, it's everywhere. So how do you go about compiling the, the report card, if you will, for a year's regulatory work? And it's 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 iterative, it's extensive, and it, it takes quite a bit of review, reiteration, reconsideration in order to bring that together. So part of the process that would be my starting point, I suppose, in terms of bringing this together, and, and it would be useful, I suppose, to confirm for listeners that with the exception of the design work on this It is entirely produced in-house by the Data Protection Commission. The first step for me is to reach out across the organisation to the people who lead in the various work areas and ask them, listen, I'm going to need you to tell me about the work of your area. What have you done in 2020? Where are the statistics? Gather those and, and start to create this broad 
overview of what the year has been. I don't know if anybody has ever planned a party or planned a wedding where you you start off with the guest list and you create your master list. And it's like, this is everything. This is everyone you'd want to, you want to fit into this room. It's a very similar process to creating an annual report. You you start off with a master copy and you, you might have something at some point that's about 100,000 words long, but that is not going to serve the readers in any way because at what point are you just are you non you're no longer constructively communicating the work of the DPC to people? You're you're just throwing words down on a page. And so you need to edit that back and you need to consider how best to express things. You need to consider where you might be reiterating yourself. And the driving force behind all of it has to be what will be of use to the reader? How can this be a tool? So it's not a DPC annual report is never an exercise in patting ourselves on the back or seeking a round of applause. It is a tool for the readers where we all take stock of the previous 12 months and look at how the lessons learned from that can drive the next 12. And which is one of the reasons why, if you look at it in the comparative scheme of things, the DPC publishes its annual reports very, very early in the following calendar year so that those learn those lessons are not delayed in, in being conveyed to the readers. So this will that will sit as, as part of, of bringing it all together. So there's certainly inputs from across the organisation. And uh, I suppose many of your listeners will have created reports for public sector bodies. Many of your listeners will be compliance professionals attached to private sector bodies where these same statutory obligations may not be upon them as there is. And so kind of to further that little peak behind the curtain that we spoke of and thinking in terms of preparing that at the annual report, there's a list of administrative jobs, of course, that must sit alongside that and you balance them all. And they include things like ensuring you facilitated time for translation. A public sector report must sit in both languages simultaneously as part of its Irish language obligations. It's it's in front of the, the Commissioner of Tianga. And uh, there are certain elements that must also appear with, within the annual report where you, you know, you, you account to the public purse for the value that you have given it and they are all brought in and must be compiled so once you've taken what you were obliged to produce then you still have to edit down from what you are discretionarily compelled to uh, to include as well so that you're giving the reader and the user and the small to medium enterprise and the dpo and the compliance officer whoever it is that picks up this report and looks to it as a compass mark to steer their next course of action you're giving them what they need to read. Thanks for that. And did you personally input into it, MB? And did you tell us about the, how that went? Yeah, I, I did. The overall, I suppose, responsibility for producing this report is mine. So to that extent, pen behind a lot of it will be will be mine, but it is heavily, heavily informed by contributions that have been received from across the organization. And then of course there are the areas that I am responsible for during the ordinary course of the year for which I must then produce the contributions that sit alongside that. So not simply an, an editor who sits abstract from the actual process. At the same time, I've got to take account of what have what my own work areas been producing over the course of the year? How has my team performed? What have we looked at? And see how we can incorporate that. That's a valuable exercise in many ways, because if you think about it, human nature, when you, when you sit down to take stock of your previous year, first of all, and let us also allow that the year that it has been, you sit down, you go, wow, 
I forgot about that. We forgot to take account of that. Or that was something that took three months out of my year. I'm making a note of it. So you much like that, that master list of invites, you create a master list of the work that you have done. But it may turn out that that piece that you spent three three months on, which was essential to something, may not be of immediate relevance to the the wider reading audience. And you're like, but I have to leave that to one side. I have to take that out because it's not serving the end goal of directing and guiding the user. You know, they, they, they don't need to know about UAT testing on a website, for example, and how, how involved that got. So it's, uh, it's, it's striking the balance between providing enough information and providing the essential information, certainly, and never uh, wandering down the rabbit hole of self-indulgence where you almost feel like uh, justifying what it is that you've, <laughs> you've done. It's like, well, I've been really busy, I promise you, because we all obviously have. And I think actually, to be fair, that really comes across in this report. I could have written a report that was twice as long and brought many things into it that were, you know, additional case studies, work like that. But they may have, they would have strayed into the area of reiterating the same point. And at some stage, you lose your reader. You need to be concise and to make it something manageable for people for whom data protection may not be their whole world. It's a substantive part of their wider world. Well, the report is is very impressive and it sets out clearly that there's a very heavy workload for the office um, and you've just alluded to it. So a lot did go on the cutting room floor then. So how do you go about paring it down? It is, as I say, it, it, you start with your operating principle of what will be of value to the end user. You you start with an additional the additional requirement that there are certain statutory obligations that you must meet. So there's, there's content, for example, around things like the energy report and the appendices and things like that, where I know I'm going to need to include that. It may not be of immediate relevance to data protection for the lay reader, but it's a statutory obligation and, and, and or certainly an obligation on us and we must meet it as a, as a matter of best practice and display our governance as a public sector body. So then with what's left, you focus on as it's those lessons learned and how to best illustrate those for the, 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 the forthcoming year. How should our members and listeners use the report in their roles as data protection professionals or with data protection responsibility? And how would the DPC's office like us to utilise it? I think what I would like readers to use the annual report as is a tool around which to orientate themselves um, and their work for the next 12 months and beyond, because we are still in the very early years of the application of the General Data Protection Regulation. It is bedding in. The the pinch points within that regulation have been manifesting in a, in a way, in a, in a lived reality, in a way that they can't when something is still theoretical. So problems are presenting themselves to people now. They're going to see that played through within the, the case studies, for example, reference to the case studies. Look at those, see what learnings you can take from the experiences of other organizations. Also to look to the statistics, particularly the the statistics around complaints and breaches, because what we'll see as it comes as it comes as part of this is where the Data Protection Commission is being brought into areas where perhaps it need not necessarily have been brought into. So data protection is being leveraged as part sometimes of wider customer service issues, as part of a different complaint, as a part of a different grievance and, and data protection is being included in that. Now, that may have validity. There may be a data protection element to it. But I think what we're, what we're finding is that within the organisations 
the data protection officer level and the data controller level in, in particular is perhaps a tendency on occasion to assume that their, their, their own response may not be the correct response. And what I mean by that is it comes across that they're feeling unsure in their position as if to question their own judgment on a situation. And that's not unusual in the early years of a regulation. So that's why we give the amount of information that we do give in the annual report so that people will be able to identify themselves in, a, in, a, in an obviously anonymized way. But I suppose what I mean is they'll, they'll see echoes of their own situation in case studies that have been illustrated. And it may give some steer as to how best to take that forward. And I suppose within that, it does just bring to mind as well that we are thinking, we're always thinking at the, at the DPC in terms of how best to support our stakeholders. And that's a very wide body. It's, it's everybody. It's anyone who has personal data is a stakeholder, if you like. But there are certain cohorts within that. And, and one will be the data protection officers and the small to medium enterprises, for example, where we, we find that they're feeling that pinch because they want to be compliant. It, it's not as though we're encountering a situation where people don't want to be compliant. They're actively trying to avoid it. They want to be compliant. They're just unsure that they're doing it correctly. And so we want to reach people there and provide that guidance and reassurance that is necessary for them to inhabit their roles with confidence. As part of that, the DPC has a DPO network where we seek to foster peer-to-peer -peer engagement between DPOs so that they can learn from each other in that compliance capacity. Obviously, the last year has really put the boot into that, but we have taken a lot of those resources and put them online. We're continuing to build on that. The conference that was planned actually for, the, I think, the 27th of March 2020. Unfortunately, that did not come to pass. Uh, and we look, it's not cancelled, it's postponed. Certainly that's what I keep telling myself because that was that was under my my wheelhouse as well. And as I say that to you, I, I, I smile because I look at the calendar and I realise that this is the 365th day that we have been working from home. So this is this is our one year anniversary of, of remote working. 12 months ago at this time, we were, we were just coming to terms with the fact that that DPO conference wasn't going to come off. But in addition to that DPO network, and I will happily share with, with your listeners the contact details for that DPO network, if you wish to circulate them. That would be great. You can yeah. pop an email to DPO network at dataprotection.ie and we'll be happy to add you to mailing lists or let you know what we have. But in addition to that, the DPC is part of a project where we're partnered with the Data Protection Commission in Croatia and Vreja University in Brussels. And it's funded by the European Commission with the specific purpose of targeting guidance at small to medium enterprises. Those sectors and areas of, of the workforce and where there may not be the same resources that their larger counterparts have to devote to compliance where we can hope to redress that gap somewhat and actually right now it would be what would be great is if some of your listeners could take a few minutes to fill in the entirely anonymous survey that we have in the field where we're, we're trying to find out what are the roadblocks to compliance and lest anyone be uh, in any way apprehensive about this i'd like to just reassure people you're not telling tales on yourself to the to a data protection authority this is this is a project separately it's anonymous the respondents are anonymous so but when the more we know the better we can tailor those resources 
to what people actually need. Well, we can certainly share those details and be with our membership and, and hopefully our listeners um, so that they can, the bigger the uh, results, the better in- information and intelligence you'll have to, for, your, for, for your project. So that, that's, that's really interesting, actually. And I know it's going to be very valuable for those smaller players who don't have the same resources uh, for compliance. Anything we can do to support that, um, we will share those, those details. So could you give us a tour of the important highlights of the report as you, you see it absolutely um, as you said it's 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 very very broad and it covers a, a very broad remit of work but from my own personal view on this I find that sometimes a lot of the scrutiny is devoted to one small specific area of the DPC's work whereas so much of our work goes on behind the headlines and I, and I think as we explained that that earlier with that breadth of remit it cuts across everything so obviously people will want to hear and quite correctly want to hear about the inquiry and the updates around the Article 60 processes and things like that. And we have we have details that in the report, but for myself and for as I, as I read it, and I think for many people as they have read it, it's, it's to look a little bit behind those big headlines to what happens elsewhere within the DPC. And I, I think with that in mind, people should take a look at the supervision section of the annual report, the, the work that is done in prior engagement which is also regulatory activity. You know, regulatory activity wears a lot of hats and absolutely fines have their place and sanctions have their place and we can and we do apply them. But outside of that, we have a role to play in preventing harm from occurring in that first instance where we can. And that's where things like supervision come in. Now, unfortunately, right now, there's no concrete way to measure how effective you are in preventing harm. The incident didn't happen, but the incident didn't happen because the stars aligned that way. The incident didn't happen because the DPC engaged and engaged iteratively with the stakeholders that it regulates to ensure that that harm would not arise. And it's it's part of the DPC's approach to regulation, which is to be that active and proactive regulator. It's not enough to stand to one side, allow harm to befall individuals individuals and then step in in the aftermath and issue a sanction if it were possible to prevent the harm before it arose. You know, uh, I always I always resent Colgate a little bit at this point because I, they got in there ahead of me with the prevention is better than cure uh, <laughs> line on these things. But there's a truth in that as well. And it's as true in the in the regulatory sphere uh, as it is uh, in many others. So th- those are certainly things. Take a look to the guidance. Take a look to the guidance that has been issued and directing people back to the website where it lives. So there are many, many resources on the DPC's website that the annual report will point you to, covering a whole lot of topics. So, you know, those those are areas as well that I think people should should make sure they attend to with equal diligence as to the, the, the fines and the sanctions. Certainly the supervision section does give some really good advice and pointers across sectors, public and private sector and in, in financial services and in the field of anti-money laundering, which is close to a lot of our membership's hearts, actually. And just that intersection between DP and AML, it's always good to get a steer on that. So what items or themes from the report should we keep an eye on in 2021? Or what are the key ones that we're going to hear more of? To a certain extent, and I've been with the I've been with the DPC for, for a long time. I always think about 
perspectives in terms of like, if only I had my crystal ball, what, what would I know? Because that's that's the one thing I've learned in relation to data protection. The themes and the issues can shift so quickly because had we had this conversation, you know, 12 or more months ago, the 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 impact of working from home, etc., was not yet part of our lived reality. And uh, so that to a certain extent, I always think with data protection, you know, watch this space because I'll try and predict something and it will blindside it will blindside you every time but that's a little bit too flippant I suppose in, in, in terms of what realistically we can trace and we can expect and if you read and your your listeners nod back to even the European Commission's to your review of the GDPR which was published back in the summer of last year the DPC's own two-year activity report under the GDPR and indeed the trends that you're seeing in this most recent annual report the the focus towards supporting SMEs is something that's the, that's definitely going to be there. The focus on supporting data protection officers is something that's definitely going to be there. Progressing inquiries will obviously be a priority for us all. And, and inquiries do progress, but they are obviously very detailed and very involved processes. And outside of that, I think as well, you can look to see more in the sphere of children's data protection rights in particular. That's something that you'll see in the report as well. The DPC has made a priority of in over the last 18 months to two years where it has really dedicated a focus to it including engaging directly with with young people and children themselves through lessons filling in surveys having their voice heard and that is that is something i think that we're going to see featuring uh, as we move forward as well okay and um, thanks mb and have you anything else you want to add yourself well apart from the the thank you obviously for giving us this platform to to speak to your listeners today and to, to talk a little bit about what goes into condensing such a broad range of regulatory work into a report that is usable and is of service to its readers i i would i suppose in the in the nod to your to your listeners say that well it, it doesn't stop there you know lay the report before the Oireachtas you stay up late to make sure it goes in on the correct time the report is published the next day and it has taken such a tremendous amount of effort to get it over the line and then you, you you literally turn around and you go well what's next we move on to the next thing because there are so many next things and some of those next things as we've said are things like the support for SMEs the ARC project uh, survey which if I can shamelessly plug again and, and yeah. encourage your listeners to tap in to that link and give us their their honest insights into their difficulties or indeed their successes with compliance you know you please don't feel that you just have to be having a problem before i'm happy to hear from you i don't i'd only love someone was to send me an email and saying i'm having a great day i tremendously value the gdpr and you know i i find no difficulty in complying with it but uh, history indicates against that but um, but it's not a case that we find that people are unwilling to comply. What we really do find is that people feel that they are unsure that they are complying correctly. And we would like to step into that space and engage with people, engage with the SMEs, the people who don't have the resources of the larger entities and see, can we work with you to provide the reassurance necessary for you to inhabit that role confidently and effectively so that data protection is applied to its best effect for everyone. And with that, MB, thank you so much for coming onto the podcast today and for sharing your, your insights and letting us know what goes on behind the scenes. It was uh, really fascinating. And thank you for contributing. Not at all. Thank you. Thank you for having me, Cathy. I, I don't think the I don't think I mentioned as part of what goes into creating the annual report quite how many cups of coffee and digestive biscuits are consumed. <laughs> 
uh, as part of it as well. It's standard fare, standard fare for producers. Yes, well, if it's any consolation, a lot of our members or most of our members are used to, to doing reporting as well and, and feel your pain, although they don't Absolutely. have to provide one that's 47,000 words long, uh, most of them anyway. Thank you. Thank you very much, Cathy. Thank you. As part of the ACUI's extensive CPD offering, we will be delivering a one-hour webinar on enforcement trends and cybersecurity risk management on Wednesday, the 31st of March. This webinar is brought to you by the Data Protection and Information Security Working Group of the ACUI. To find out more about our upcoming CPD events, visit our website, acui.ie, and follow us on LinkedIn to receive updates and notifications. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Compliance Files. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast on whatever platform you are listening to ensure you don't miss out on future episodes.